Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Casket, a semi-weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and businesses that have a lot to hide. I'm the Illuminati, and as I'm sure you can tell from the title, we're going to be talking about just, just terrible shows involving children, toddlers and tiaras, and dance moms. These shows are known for having questionable ethics, primarily for potentially sexualizing young girls. I'm really not here to talk about the dramatics behind each episode or any of their vague storylines, but to get into why these shows may be worrying, the evidence to prove it, and any kind of controversy that goes beyond the scope of competitions themselves. Today's gonna be one hell of an episode, so uh, sit down, buckle up, and let's get started. Let's start with a history of these shows. When did they begin and why? As for toddlers and tiaras, it began on TLC, once the Learning Channel in 2009. The show has had several spinoffs, one including Alana, Honey Boo Boo Thompson, another called Cheer Perfection, and another called Little Miss Atlanta. Toddlers and tiaras follows around young beauty pageant contestants and their parents, of course. While sometimes there may be petty dramatics for the cameras, beauty pageants have become an extremely controversial topic in and of themselves. Personally, I feel that if a child is just playing dress up, having fun, making friends and enjoying themselves, then there's no harm in that aspect of it. However, when the desire to be in a pageant comes from the parent instead of the child, and when this contest is pitting kids against one another to set beauty standards for them, issues are bound to arise. Beauty pageants aren't anything new though, even if they've escalated and changed over the years. According to PBS, while ancient Greeks memorialized in myth and complicated relationship between beauty and competition, there is no historical evidence that they actually held contests for women. A contest of physique called the Eurandria was held yearly at an Athenian festival, but the contest was for men. European festivals dating to the medieval era provide the most direct lineage for beauty pageants. For example, English May Day celebrations always involve the selection of queens. In the United States, the May Day tradition of selecting women to serve as symbols of bounty and community ideals continued as young, beautiful women participated in public celebrations. When George Washington rode from Mount Vernon to New York City in 1789 to assume the presidency, groups of young women dressed in white lined his route, placing palm branches before his carriage. General Lafayette's triumphant tour of the United States in 1826 also was greeted by similar delegations of young women. The first truly modern beauty contest involving the display of women's faces and figures before judges can be traced to one of America's greatest showmen, Phineas T. Barnum of circus fame. In the 1850s, the ever resourceful Barnum owned a dime museum in New York City that catered to the growing audience for commercial entertainment. Some of Barnum's most popular attractions were national contests where dogs, chickens, flowers, and even children were displayed and judged for paying audiences. While 61,000 people swarmed to his baby show in 1855, a similar event the year before to select and exhibit the handsomest ladies in America proved a disappointment. The prize, a dowry if the winner was single or a diamond tiara if the winner was married, was not enough to lure respectable girls and women of the Victoria era to publicly display themselves. P.T. Barnum created a photo contest instead, and in the decades to come, it was widely imitated and became a respectable way for girls and women to have their beauty judged. So it looks like we've been doing this long before Instagram made it so much easier. Beach resorts began holding regular beauty pageants and entertainment, and in 1921, in an effort to lure tourists to stay past Labor Day, Atlantic City organizers staged the first Miss America pageant in September. 
However, while the National Baby Show was created by P.T. Barnum in 1855, and this first ever photo organized child pageant for babies and kids was even more successful than the one for women, they originally didn't seem to be about beauty. Better baby contests weren't about which baby was cuter or had chubbier cheeks, but were primarily an effort to educate parents on new ways to raise and protect their children. Yes, there were cast prizes, but this was an incredibly odd way to spread health information. According to an article by Hilary Levy Friedman on the Huffington Post, Annette Dory, an expert on baby contests, explains that at the Better Baby event, babies were stripped naked and then judged by physicians according to a meticulous point system like that used in cattle judging. They were judged on, and I kid you not, symmetry, quality of skin, fat, bones, the length of their heads, forehead, and nose, among other things. Historians actually believe these Better Baby contests may have actually had something to do with eugenics. According to Martin S. Pernick's Taking Better Baby Contest Seriously, published in the May 2002 edition of the American Journal of Public Health, the contest promoted selective pronatalism and fitter family competition simultaneously demonstrated who should and who should not reproduce. Other sources say these contests focused on babies and young children, but soon entire families would be judged at fairs for their lineage and cumulative flawlessness, playing a large role in the eugenics movement. Fitter families contests took place, contests that seemed to be less about health and more about breeding. While seemingly benign, contests like these reinforced the notion of white Americans having the most desirable characteristics and implicitly discouraged the inclusion of people who fell outside that range. By setting scorecards and standards, the contest organizers put forth a hierarchy of humans. As the Pensacola Journal explained in 1913, in these types of contests, a physician scores a baby precisely the same way as a judge of experience in livestock scores cattle, horse and hogs, and a gem expert scores diamonds. It is first necessary to establish a standard and then to compare each entry or specimen with what is known as 100% or perfect product. The whiter a family was in these contests, the better. Needless to say, I wasn't really expecting this while looking into the history of beauty pageants, and it's pretty disturbing to say the least. Thankfully, these baby, contests ended in 1950. Polio made people wanna stay indoors for a bit, or at least not have their kids grouped together until the vaccine was developed and things became safer. Hint, hint for right now. Years later in 1961, the Little Miss America, basically a Miss America for little kids began. Slowly, this transformed into the beauty pageants we're talking about today. And now the beauty standards that have been placed on kids have grown substantially. In 2011, one pageant mom admitted to injecting her eight-year-old with Botox for purely cosmetic reasons and defended her actions because in her words, other moms were telling me about the lines on her face and I'm not the only one that does it. First of all, I seriously doubt that her child had wrinkles. And secondly, the other people that do it defense is pretty weak here. Some parents say pageants have been good for their daughters. They've won cruises, televisions, and money and made friends. Some former contestants say it taught them confidence and drive. Others say it gave them body issues and a latent and confusing fear of being looked at sexually. At least there don't seem to be any judgments based on eugenics, right? No one's using the word breeding anyway, so I guess that's a plus as well too. So, you know, that's that's where we're at. The standards are quite low. As for dance moms, well, I can't possibly go over the history of dance and dance contests or else we would literally be here all day. I will say that dance truly became a competitive sport in the early 1900s and grew during the era of the Roaring Twenties, though the industry didn't really modernize for many decades. Today, there are hundreds of independent competition companies that tour the country conducting regional and national dance competitions for children and teens. 
At each regional, there may be hundreds of dancers performing solos, duets, trios, small group, large group in many dance style and forms. The dance competition multi-semi-touring fleet is a far cry from the humble beginnings of the industry in the late 70s, where competitions were known to operate out of the back of a station wagon or van. Now, Dance Moms the TV show started in 2011 and several spin-offs or sister programs such as Dance Moms Miami, Abby's Ultimate Dance Competition, Dance Moms with Jennifer Ellison and others have followed. Lifetime, the network that airs the program simply describes it as mothers urge their daughters to perform in the world of competitive dance. While there are talent portions in beauty pageants, they're called beauty pageants because it is largely centered around judging someone, in this case, a child for their appearance. In Dance Moms, at least there is talent, work, and athleticism involved. However, both of these shows have been accused of exploiting and sexualizing children, even from the very beginning. We're just gonna go ahead and get this section out of the way first, in part because it's the largest overall issue I have with these shows, and it's one of the most widely criticized aspects, and frankly, because I wanna rip the bandage off and get this one over with. In one CNN article about the topic, it reads, In what was likely a misguided effort to gain publicity and ratings for the show, TLC released footage of a three-year-old contestant dressed as a prostitute played by Julia Roberts in the 1990 film, Pretty Woman. This stupidity came just one week after TLC, still known to many as the Learning Channel, was forced to pull its Facebook page because of the deluge of negative comments over an episode that featured a little girl dressed up to look like Dolly Parton, complete with padded bust and buttocks. Common sense is all too often a casualty of the media culture we live in. Parents assume the sexual content and innuendo in the programming they are watching will go over their child's head or think it's cute to dress their child in sexy clothes or encourage her to imitate Beyonce's dance moves so they can post it on YouTube. In reality, they are teaching their children what kind of behavior will help them get noticed. Sex work is real work. And if that's what an adult chooses to do, then that is their choice. However, minors, little kiddos, they can't consent. Imposing sexuality onto a kid this age can teach them that their value only comes from their sexual appeal or sexual behavior. And they'll be more valuable the more makeup they have on and the more skin they show. I'm not saying every single parent and child has done this, but it's become enough of a pattern to be concerning. Even in cases where a child or parent hasn't crossed a line, they've come close to the edge and the media, if not the show themselves, can easily distort it to appear that way. For example, back in 2012, Susanna Barrett and her daughter, Isabel, both known for having been on Toddlers and Tiaras, were at a charity event. Isabel was singing and dancing to the song, I'm Sexy and I Know It. TMZ and Huffington Post describe it as Isabella gyrating at a nightclub and Susanna was outraged at how they portrayed her daughter, so she sued them. Isabella did not understand the concept of sex, let alone sex appeal, and could not have been singing about her own sex appeal, Barrett said in her lawsuit. Instead, it is the defendants who, through their articles, have thrust a false and vulgar characteristics onto Isabella, according to the suit. As a result, Isabella is now perceived sexually, erotically, and pornographically, and the stories have placed Isabella in serious physical danger, attracting the attention of others who would seek to sexualize a child. Some may argue that Barrett placed her daughter in danger first by putting her in so much makeup, dresses, and having her sing that song. There's also footage of Isabella, only six years old, bashing her competition by stating, my mother doesn't dress me up as a hooker, pretty much stating that the other girl's mothers do. I don't blame Isabella for this because the language it seems came from her mother. Regardless of if you blame Susanna or the media for sexualizing her daughter in this case, there's other examples where the show itself seems to be the one to blame. There's plenty of alarming complications online where there's little girls twerking and dancing while wearing bikinis. 
These come from the show itself. So it makes me wonder why parents like Barrett are accusing TMZ and HuffPost of sexualizing their daughter when Toddlers and Tierras does the exact same thing. Some say that this is like a dream for child predators or that people who are trying to control these predatory urges would be confused or thrown off by these images. In response to the increasing problem of the sexualization of girls in the media, the American Psychological Association created a task force to research and respond to the problem. We don't want kids to grow up too fast, Sherry Miles Cohen, Senior Director of Women's Programs for the American Psychological Association told abcnews.com in August. We want them to be able to develop physically, emotionally, psychologically, and socially at appropriate rates for their age. Testing out adult behaviors as a child may have lifelong consequences, said Dr. Ari Brown, a Texas pediatrician and author of Toddler 411. While Brown said one cannot assume that all young girls who dress inappropriately turn out to have early sexual experiences or other risk behaviors, I do wonder what type of limit setting and discipline occurs in their household, she said. France has actually banned beauty pageants for kids under 16 for these exact types of reasons because they so frequently sexualize young girls. One source states, Such beauty pageants involving girls of all ages, often heavily made up and extravagantly dressed, regularly spark public debate in France and elsewhere. While such pageants are not as common in France as in the United States, girls get the message early on here that they are sexual beings from advertising and marketing campaigns, and even from department stores that sell lingerie for girls as young as six. This has sparked a ton of debate. Some say they don't want the government stepping in and telling them what activities they can and can't do with their children. Others say that we need laws around social things like smoking, drinking, attending nightclubs, and this simply falls into that category. Personally, I feel that if these pageants weren't so focused on looks, I probably would have less of an issue with them. But the idea of dressing up your child in a bikini or putting Botox in their face or, you know, dressing them like a hooker as that quote from earlier, that's not quite right. Others have actually accused toddlers and tiaras themselves of bringing out the worst in pageants for ratings. Remember how I mentioned that a three-year-old was dressed as a sex worker from Pretty Woman? According to the mother, that was actually part of a larger skit that TLC cut, and this was the case of bad editing. She says that prior to Toddlers and Tiaras, beauty pageants didn't have a bad reputation, but since this show has existed, it's gotten a bad rap. And I'm sure that's true to some extent, and I absolutely believe that Toddlers and Tiaras encourages bad behavior for ratings. At the same time, with or without context, there's a few things that are said or done that make me wanna slam my head into a wall. For example, parents telling their eight-year-old daughter, you're not a stripper, but shake your butt a little bit. Like seriously, even the daughter looked up at her mom, like, why would you say that? This isn't even touching upon the teeth whitening, the way this mother talks to her child, the pressure. I I can only handle one thing at a time here. Now, dance moms and shows like it are on an entirely separate beast, but really similar all the same. You'd think they may be less likely to have controversy if the judges are critiquing based on dance alone, but the issue of sexualizing children still arises when it comes to costumes and dances. One psychologist, Dr. Tommy Ann Roberts, professor and chair of psychology department at Colorado College, I think puts it quite eloquently, and here's what she says. Sexualized dance puts the dancer in a unique relationship to the audience. Rather than the dancer being absorbed in the storyline of the dance, she or he is displaying the body and movements of the body to the audience in such a way that the audience is compelled to view the movements as an invitation to sexuality. When studios and conventions make money off children's sexualized dancing, when the audience claps the loudest for each dance, or when YouTube videos of children rehearsing or performing highly sexualized dances garner the most views and likes, then these children's bodies are being used. When specifically asked what the consequences are for children and youth who are treated this way, 
Robert says that they come to self-objectify or to internalize a view of their own bodies that is from an outsider's perspective. They come to feel that their bodies are not their own, but rather belong to others. This can make them more susceptible to harm. Children can begin to view themselves as objects, only appreciated and valued for their sexy appearance, as opposed to their competence, training, and skill. In a way, this reminds me of that really controversial movie, Cuties, that just raised hell last year. Most of the issues I remember people having with that movie wasn't about the premise itself, a young woman joining a dance troupe. Instead, people were justifiably upset because the camera would zoom in on these kids in booty shorts twerking to sexual music. It was pretty gross. I I tried to watch like someone review it and I just couldn't even get through that. If this had been some kind of coming of age story about a girl learning to express herself with dance, I doubt people would have said much at all. And if dance moms were purely focusing on technique and skill and the performance itself, we may not even be here today, but unfortunately it's not. On one episode, particularly in 2012, it wildly crossed the line. One source states, on March 6, Lifetime aired the episode titled Topless Showgirls, in which the little dancers appeared to dance, you guessed it, topless on a showgirls type performance. According to instructor Abby Lee Miller, the act was a fan dance. You cover your body with the fans, so you give the illusion that you're nude underneath the fans, she explained on the show. Come on, we all know you have tan bras on and tan tights on. Everyone in the industry knows the girls are completely covered and everything's harmless. Sounds lovely for an adult. For preteen girls, maybe not so much. My outfit was pretty tiny, young dancer Mackenzie told the cameras. I could fit this on my American doll. Lifetime has confirmed to today.com that it has since decided to yank the episode. Not only will topless showgirls never air on the network again, it won't be available online either. Sources like ABC also question their moves as well, if they're too provocative. If this is all about dance, then why do they need false eyelashes? Why are their costumes basically all lingerie at times? One mom even smiles and says, oh, showing off your sexy little bod to what I assume is her daughter who looks barely 10. Another parent steps in and says she thinks the costume is too sexy and crosses a line, but the dance coach insists they use the word skimpy, not sexy. And I mean, fine, then I agree with her. I think it's too skimpy. The gestures, the movement, the costume, it doesn't match the nine to 12 age group that they're competing in. I get that a lot of this is, I guess, subjective. If you don't agree with me, I can't really say that's fine, Uh, but multiple parents on the show even say that they're uncomfortable when their child is doing those poses. And yet this coach says the mothers are going to ruin their daughters by speaking out. When teaching them burlesque dances, Abby Miller, according to one article, make sure to teach them it's all about crotch and boobs and telling the girls to say, I'm hot, I'm mean, you can't have me, you can't afford me as they shake their giant fans. Make no mistake either, this behavior does have unintended consequences too. According to one 2016 article, since Dance Moms premiered in 2011, multiple stars have been allegedly targeted by stalkers and pedophiles. For us to say that dance isn't now a place that sexual predators are looking to either fantasize or develop relationships, we would be naive, says Leslie Scott, the founder of the Youth Protection Advocates in Dance, an organization that prevents sexual abuse of children in the dance community. Last year, authorities arrested a man named Phoenix Sundown for allegedly sending one young dance mom star a package containing a coffee maker, an Elvis blanket, letters, and porn. The girl never received the mail because postal workers worried the package contained a bomb and opened it. I would never harm any children. I never had sex with other children, he told Fox San Diego. He said he was motivated to reach out to her because her Instagram was always sweet. 
Sundown's alleged harassment of the girl began months earlier. According to her representative, he had previously posted photos of kidnapped victim Elizabeth Smart online, tagging the dancer in the images with the caption, hashtag future goals. After his arrest, Sundown said he was surprised authorities apprehended him as he had previously mailed 11 packages to Maddie Ziegler without interference. He later showed off a neck tattoo of Dance Mom's overlord, Abby Lee Miller, during an ABC 10 jailhouse interview. And that, that is fucking horrifying. There's no other word for it. That is scary. Another man was even arrested after trying to break into the Dance Mom's studio where the Dance Mom's girls train and read poetry to them. That man, Joseph McKinstry Jr., also used to tweet at Ziegler that he loved her, calling her beautiful and things of that nature. Abby Miller, the coach, whether intentionally or not, is putting these children in harm's way. It's a disgusting, sad reality that child predators exist and we need to be careful. I'm not saying that the kids are inviting this attention or that they deserve this in any way, just like how a sexual assault victim doesn't deserve what happened to them based on what they're wearing. In this case though, Miller is purposefully sexualizing children, insisting upon skimpy costumes, full makeup and adult performances and ignoring criticism for one simple fact, it sells. Leslie Scott has also stated, the sexualization of child dancers has led to sexual abuse within the dance world. She says her organization receives an average of three reports of sexual abuse a week from children and parents, many of whom do not want to report allegations to the police. She believes the actual level of abuse in the community is higher. The actual reporting of sex abuse and dance is so rare because dance is a network-based community, she says. Parents fear speaking out would cause their child to lose their foothold in the dance world. I think that Dance Moms has harmed the healthy, emotional, physical, and sexual development of children, she says. I think it has unfortunately blinded parents and educators to our role to first and foremost put a child's safety at the front of everything in dance. And I really try not to be a pearl clutching overprotective person when I say think of the children, when children are exposed to something adult, but I don't think I'm overstepping lines. And this is coming from someone that absolutely fucking hates children. I cannot stand them. I hear a fucking child crying at a restaurant. I'm like, oh my God, just take me outside. I cannot do this. But even me, as someone who doesn't want children, does not appreciate children, and does not want anything to be around with anyone, like hell, even people under 21, I'm just like, you are a child to me now, like go away. But even me and all of my child disliking ways, it's pretty obvious and it's pretty black and white here, don't sexualize children. That should not be a revolutionary statement. And the fact that this is being aired on TV and has millions of views, a large fan base and everything is just really disturbing to me. Now, before we continue on to discuss the mental health aspects of these types of TV shows, let's just take a quick break to thank today's sponsor who allow me to even create content like this. The summer is here. There's a long three-day weekend ahead if you plan to celebrate that. And it's time to get some good food cooking. And that's where HelloFresh comes in because HelloFresh is the one-stop shop to get meal planning less stressful, under control, and ready to go. And you will enjoy a wide variety of easy, delicious options for all three meals of the day, plus snacks and special treats in between from the HelloFresh market. And the HelloFresh app offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order within minutes or skip a week if you're not feeling it. 
I think this week I got like a Parmesan crusted chicken. I think it it looks delicious. I haven't made it yet, but again, the thing with the recipes and y'all know I'm a bad cook here, but they come with pictures and they're on big laminated papers. So it's so easy to follow along with everything. So I'm excited to actually create and eat this. So if you wanna get started with HelloFresh today, make sure to go to hellofresh.com slash casket14 and use code casket14 for 14 free meals plus free shipping. Again, make sure you're going to hellofresh.com slash casket14 and use code casket14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Jojo, you were fifth in the competition. You're fifth on the pyramid. Sometimes you act like a five-year-old. Maybe five is your lucky number or not so lucky number. She deserves nothing. Another aspect we've only briefly touched on is the mental well-being of these kids. In Dance Moms, you see the kids admit that it does feel like too much sometimes. There's too much pressure, but their moms won't let them quit. I can't speak to every student's experience. Others say they're having fun. It does just seem like an incredibly high pressure environment for a child. So I wanted to dig a little deeper and see what mental health experts had to say about this. According to mentalhelp.net, psychologists and psychiatrists largely agree that pageants such as toddlers and tiaras reinforce negative female body image issues that result in eating disorders such as anorexia and bulimia. As evidence of this, they say mental health experts point out the trend towards the onset of eating disorders as much younger ages than ever before. For example, beauty competitions emphasize the Barbie doll image of what a beauty queen should look like. The trouble is that there is no way for a human being to look that way because it's so exaggerated. Mental health experts emphasize the fact these children pageants have the effect of sexualizing girls. In other words, the stereotyped thinking that females as sexual objects is detrimental to these kids. Their makeup, clothes, and type of dances all focus on being sexy. If you have any doubt about this, just watch the television show to see for yourself. Watch it to see for yourself. Uh, I. I know I have to watch it, you know, like it's this fear. It's it's a series of shows I've always avoided because even the premise grossed me out. And I was like, why the fuck would you ever watch something like this? That seems gross. And now here I am having to criticize it. So obviously now I actually have to watch it. And it's been the part I feared the most when I started looking at this for research. So if I'm going to criticize the show, at least I can watch an episode at random to give it you know, the most random possibility possible. I'm just gonna type it in, see what pops up, and that's what we're picking. So let's see what the internet chose. So I searched for an episode online and I ended up with one from season five, episode 12. I'm not going to talk about every detail of this episode itself, but instead just watch this from the perspective of someone who's never seen a full episode before and see what the show is promoting. This is the fairy tale princess pageant episode and two minutes in, and I'm really trying hard to remain unbiased here. There's a young man named Traven that plans to compete and he's only six years old. He says that he's going to tell the ladies, hey, sexy, call me. And then he does some weird motion with his mouth and fingers. And I'm just gonna pretend I didn't see that. Ava Kate only four and Samantha seven are two other contestants competing. Trayvon later tells his grandmother who's dancing with him to get a job at a strip club. But at least when four-year-old Ava Kate is shaking her butt and mock spanking herself, her mom says that's not part of her routine and she doesn't want her to do that. Oh my fucking 
thanking God they showed that. Hopefully it has never been a part of her routine, but I can't say that for sure because the question here is like, how did that little girl know to do, like, you know what I mean? Like, how did she understand that that movement, like to do that as a child, how? The music is a little questionable when Trayvon dances and the judges specifically say that they're looking for blonde hair and tan skin. I mean, can other hair and skin colors not be beautiful? Like, okay. Ava Kate's music is also pretty questionable because of the blastic lyrics, I'm a sexy girl over a four-year-old dancing. There were a few skimpy outfits along the way, but that wasn't a majority of the clothes I saw, thankfully. Ultimately, Samantha and Ava Kate won the day. Ava's mother said, as long as she's enjoying them, we'll be doing them for a long time. Now, here's the thing. As an audience member, I guess, or viewer of the TV show, did I just enjoy the episode that I watched? No. Do I think these kids are being abused? No. Well, not these three children that were the focus anyway. I won't lie and say that this was incredibly horrific because frankly, I don't I don't know what I expected it is probably the bigger problem here. I don't like this. It made me uncomfortable to watch it. And there were absolutely questionable moments in there that they kept in the show purposefully and then broadcasted. I don't know what this show thinks it is, but the one thing I know it is, is a very slippery slope. Promoting acting, fashion, dress up and dancing. There's nothing wrong with those things. And parents can even bond with their kids over them. However, waxing a kid's eyebrows, telling them to drink a Mountain Dew so they have energy, bribing a child to wear false eyelashes they hate for a kitten as a reward and dressing a child as Marilyn Monroe because quote, Marilyn was a sex symbol and I think that'll work with my daughter's personality, end quote. Well, some argue that does fall into abuse. Andy Daynart of the Daily Beast wrote about dance moms as well as toddlers and tiaras in one of his articles and it reads, during the season one finale of Lifetime's Dance Moms, Mackenzie Seven starts crying while rehearsing for a music video and ran out of the room, ponytail bouncing over her hot pink sports bra. She found her mother in a back room and ran towards her. Please don't make me go as she hugged her mother, Melissa. Mackenzie's head was turned and her eyes made contact with the camera staring right at us. She pulled away, her face a mess of sadness and anger and pointed accusatorily at the camera and its operator's intrusiveness. The image quickly cut away. That's when I realized I was watching televised child abuse, abuse that came not from a kid being forced to do something she didn't like in that second, but abuse that's far more subtle, caused by the presence of cameras broadcasting moments that should never be public, which the child stars of these shows seem acutely aware of sometimes. Dance moms and toddlers and tiaras take us inside existing subcultures and show us something that would be happening whether cameras are there or not. That makes the shows both socially redeeming and much, much worse because these are the kids' real lives. They cannot escape the cameras because their parents have made the decision to broadcast their activities. And of course, broadcasting these pageants or dance competitions may encourage more people to drag their children in front of cameras to make them and themselves stars. One parent, Lindsay Jackson, was even ordered by a judge to stop entering her young daughter into pageants. She's the one who in 2011, patted her four-year-old's chest and butt for a Dolly Parton routine. Jackson says it's not illegal, but Maddie's father, backed up by a court-appointed psychologist, said she's exploiting her daughter. Legal analyst Dan Abrams told Good Morning America that these pageants are terrible, but stripping a mom of custody over this sets a dangerous precedent since there isn't a clear indication of harm. Business Insider put this incident on the list of the show's five biggest controversies, along with a four-year-old smoking a candy cigarette on stage, the Pretty Woman incident, Honey Boo Boo drinking Mountain Dew Red Bull and calling Pixie Stick pageant crack and the eyebrow waxing. Honey Boo Boo's mother, for the record, said, there are far worse things. I could be giving her alcohol. 
Yes, what an amazing fucking bar to set. I may be encouraging my young child to drink enough caffeine to send her to the emergency room, but hey, at least it's not alcohol. So gold star parent of the year award right fucking there. However, that line about a clear indication of harm really stayed with me. Is there any proof that this will hurt someone? Do we have irrefutable evidence? After digging, I did find a few studies. One published on NCBI read, This study evaluated the association between childhood beauty pageants and adult disordered eating, body dissatisfaction, depression, and self-esteem. 11 women who participated in childhood beauty pageants were matched on age and BMI with 11 non-participating women. Childhood beauty pageants scored higher on body dissatisfaction, interpersonal distrust, and impulse dysregulation than non-participants, and showed a trend towards greater ineffectiveness. There were no significant issues between groups on measures of bulimia, body perception, depression, and self-esteem. These findings suggest childhood beauty pageant participation may influence adult body dissatisfaction, interpersonal distrust, and impulse dysregulation, but not bulimic behaviors, body perception, depression, and self-esteem. Another larger study stated, self-esteem, dieting, and body image of 131 female beauty pageants contestants mean age 26 years old from 43 states were examined by an anonymous survey. Most, 89.6% reported being a pageant finalist or winner and 55.2% had competed at the national or international level. Over one fourth, 26% of the women had been told or perceived they had an eating disorder, which reportedly began at 16.25 years. Almost half, 48.5% reported wanting to be thinner and 57% were trying to lose weight. Higher self-esteem scores were significantly associated with increased level of competition from local to international pageants, but not with the number of times the women were pageant finalists or winners. Future study is warranted to determine how pageant participation influences self-esteem, body image, and the development of eating disorders. In other words, correlation doesn't equal causation. So although there may be some relationship between pageants and body dissatisfaction, this isn't irrefutable proof. The sample size is far too small and there's too many variables to think about. I have no concrete data that says black and white, pageants can make you more likely to have an eating disorder. I'd really be curious to see what future studies, if any, have been done so far, but the ones I'm seeing generally leads towards saying, yeah, this can influence body dissatisfaction. I'm sure the parents and their attitude could absolutely have an effect on this as well, how encouraging they are, how laid back they are, and things of that nature. One mom, Elaine, seems to have the right attitude. She made a DIY pageant dress for only $9 because she said she feels like 1800 is absolutely ridiculous and could feed so many hungry kids. She uses bronzer instead of tanning, doesn't take it too seriously, and claims to set boundaries for their makeup and competing. Whatever happens, happens, she says. Unfortunately, they came in fourth compared to the pageant mom that won, a mom that demanded her daughter drink a Mountain Dew and step it up. It just sucks that this overly critical and almost cruel parenting is being rewarded. Aside from the sexualization and the mental health of these kids, there's also been plenty of racist behavior, primarily in dance moms. I first noticed this when in a 2018 clip, Abby Miller is shown teaching one African-American student named Nia how to do what she calls ethnic dances. She wants Nia to wear animal print and an Afro for her solo piece while all the other girls are wearing the more stereotypical glittery costumes. Nia's mom tells Miller that she doesn't like that all of her daughters seem to have a jungle theme and she doesn't want her daughter to be treated as a token black kid. Miller pushes back yet again and tells her to flip through the yellow pages and find someone else if she doesn't like it. 
My daughter's a dancer first, not an ethnicity first, the mother insists. Last year, this seemingly came to a head when Lifetime announced that Miller wouldn't be returning to Dance Moms if the show was renewed and an announced an off-spin series. Abby's virtual dance-off was canceled. According to the article in June, 2020, the action was triggered by an Instagram message by Adriana Smith, mother of Dance Moms season eight dancer Cameron, posted in response to Miller's Blackout Tuesday Instagram post in support of Black Lives Matter. I couldn't think of a more perfect day to address my experience with Abby Lee Miller, Smith wrote, a statement from her that sticks in my mind to this day during my time on DMS8 is, I know you grew up in the hood with only a box of eight crayons, but I grew up in the country club with a box of 64, don't be stupid. This to me shows that you think you are better than me and in higher rank and altogether superior to me. Smith also said that her daughter overheard Miller say the only reason she was there was for a quote, sprinkle of color, end quote. Just as we saw with Nia, Miller was accused of constantly putting Cameron in afros and typecasting black dancers. Another source states, following Adriana's post, Cameron Bridges' mom, Camille Bridges, shared a copy of her own with E! News. Abby tried to spin Cameron as being the poor one and there on scholarship. I shut that down immediately, she said. She loves appropriating our culture and never appreciating it. She did not give black choreographers on the show acknowledgement of their work. She continuously put Cameron in afros. The woman is a mess. She is incredibly two-faced. She would say the most terrible things on camera, then tell Cameron how she was better than the girls on the team, mainly the ones she trained. It was a traumatic experience that I wish on no one. A third dancer, Nikaya Wiley, said her mother, Kaya, also faced similar treatment. One source claims that just like every other mother on the show, Kaya would argue with the moms about why her daughter deserved to be there. And that's like half the program from my understanding, but unlike the other mothers, Lifetime didn't air any other footage of Wiley, they demonized her while showing other sides to the white mothers. This source reads, for instance, white mom Christie called Wiley a hood rat, which is a racially derogatory term, yet Lifetime still decided to keep it in the show, knowing that it would offend many. Wiley probably had to deal with comments like these on numerous occasions, explaining why she was angry, but Lifetime excluded the context of these situations, portraying her as the bad guy. When Wiley and Nikea first joined the team and Nikea was introducing herself, Kendall Verdes, another dancer on the team, told Nikea, I'll just call you Laquitha, referring to the ethnic solo Nia had performed. Kendall refused to learn Nikea's name and instead referred to her using stereotypical views of black culture by calling her Laquitha, except the catch is that this never happened. Wiley herself came out on the internet and defended Kendall, saying that the producers had juxtaposed and edited Kendall's words to make it seem like she said something offensive when in reality she didn't. Why did they include and perpetuate racism on the show when it clearly made the dancers and their mothers very upset and uncomfortable? Lifetime's producers let this all slide because the chaos of the show was gaining them popularity. With every instance of racism on the show, more viewers would tweet about it, making the show more and more popular. Lifetime exploited the sensitivity of the racist experiences of many of the black actors on the show faced for more views and portrayed their characters disproportionately, all in the means to gain more revenue. Lifetime is so hypocritical, they canceled Abby Lee Miller for racism when they seemingly promoted racism. On the surface, they wanna look like allies. They don't wanna get their ratings to drop and they wanna get rid of everyone that puts their reputation at risk. Yet Lifetime is no better. They gave Miller a platform, aired her typecasting of these black dancers, but the second someone spoke out during the BLM movement, they went, oh crap, she's a problem, let's get rid of her. At least that's what it looks like to me anyway. 
Now, Miller's has plenty of other controversies though. Despite being the biggest coach and one of the faces of dance moms, she defrauded the IRS and didn't pay her taxes. She had lucrative contracts she wasn't telling anyone about, hiding $755,000 she received in 2012 and 2013. Holy shit. One parent even sued her for assaulting their child. And my source reads, in a complaint filed in Los Angeles Superior Court, Page Highland 13 alleges that Miller, who runs the Abby Lee Dance Co., intentionally engaged in conduct that caused plaintiff Page Highland to reasonably believe she was about to be touched or harmed in an offensive manner. Highland also noted that she has panic attacks and suffers anxiety from appearing on the Lifetime Network show about the competitive youth dance company. The dance student alleges in her lawsuit that she suffered emotional abuse and feared Miller would hurt her, citing Miller's violent outbursts that included tossing a chair across a room in a fit of anger. The judge did side with Miller after reviewing footage and found no reasonable way Highland could legitimately fear being injured by her instructor. However, just like I did with Toddlers and Tiaras, I decided to watch an episode and give this show the benefit of the doubt as much as I possibly could. And again, I'm not gonna go on and on about the in-episode dramatics, just what I find worrying. The random episode for this one that ended up popping up in my search was something from season six, episode 18. Miller is pretty insulting about four minutes in. She says that she's the vehicle to get them out of their humdrum Pittsburgh lives and gives herself full credit for their success. What about hard work, right? Practically the entire first half of the show, the moms are debating why Miller doesn't seem to care about two of her dancers that are leaving, the Zieglers, and instead seem to be focusing on her younger dancers. Even when I'm 30 minutes into this, I think I've seen about three minutes worth of dancing, tops. This whole show is exactly as the title implies. It's about the moms and the inside arguments. That's all that comes to a head after the dances. About 40 minutes in, when the mother of Maddie and Mackenzie Ziegler tells the mother of a younger group that they'd be nothing without her kids paving the way for them. Like, what the hell? Anyway, with that episode out of the way, I actually wanna briefly touch on Maddie Ziegler as a topic. I'm sure many of you have heard of her. She's known for dancing in her music videos and she was the kid actor in Sia's recent movie Music, which was an absolute train wreck. And I covered that on my second channel, Illuminati. I think it's really pathetic that Sia didn't really try at all to get an actress that was autistic to be in the movie and instead just fed her fans a bunch of excuses for why she didn't make that happen. Maddie has since spoken out about Dance Moms and one article reads, when Dance Moms started filming, Maddie Ziegler was eight years old and her sister Mackenzie Ziegler was six. Discussing how young they were, Maddie confessed to Maddie Orlando on the podcast, The Sister Diary. I feel like it should be illegal to have a kid that young on a reality show. Maddie said she felt like she and Mackenzie had both missed out on a normal childhood. In her book, Kenzie's Rules for Life, How to Be Happy, Healthy, and Dance to Your Own Beat, Mackenzie also spoke out about having to grow up too fast. I started to regret not being a real kid with a real life, she said, as reported by Life and Style. I felt like I had no childhood and it made me sad and angry, she explained. Despite missing out on their childhood, Maddie is happy that Mackenzie was there with her since the beginning. In her book, The Maddie Diaries, she wrote, I can't imagine going through everything I've been through these past several years without Mackenzie on the journey with me, even if she bugged me sometimes. It's clear that the pair went through a lot growing up, but at least they had someone by their side. But that's not the only controversy and confusion around Maddie's history. Ready to Glare actually talks about this on her channel if you wanna see it on YouTube and it'll be obviously linked in my sources. But aside from Miller taking credit for her success, there's been a lot of questions if her relationship with Sia is troubling. One source states, following shooting for Chandelier music video, Sia's relationship with Ziegler got even more intense. 
The Dance Moms alum would have weekly sleepovers at the musician's house as a young child. In fact, when Ziegler was only 12, she slept in Sia's bed on more than one occasion. They're like sisters. I love how they snuggle together. Her mom shared about her eldest daughter and the singer in an interview with Stuff. Considering there are 27 years between the pair, many fans were unnerved by the sleepovers. Again, Ready to Glare does a fantastic job talking about this on her channel on YouTube and goes deeper into the specific situation. I know this isn't necessarily the show Dance Mom's problem, but I feel like kids in these environments are so often taken advantage of. Same thing with toddlers and tiaras. Whether there's too much pressure on them or they're being exploited, they're being criticized too harshly or being sexualized, there's simply so much that can and often does go wrong. Add reality TV into the mix and it gets, well, that much worse. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode. I, again, can't really say I hope you enjoyed it, but uh, I hope you learned something and became more aware of what was really just an unnerving and uncomfortable topic for me. And I'm happy I finally covered it, but it, it just makes me feel so fucking gross inside. But yeah, that's the episode. Uh, If you're listening to this on YouTube, let me know what you think in the comment section down below. And if you wanna connect with me outside of the podcast, make sure that you go to my Linktree link. It's gonna have all of my social media, Twitter, Instagram, Discord server, Twitch, you name it, everything there so that we can chat about this. What did you think about it? But for right now, that's where I'm leaving you. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.